1: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Good
2: morning, lovely Welcome to Bobby Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beats and Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you guys. In segment number two, we're going to be joined by Justin Perry. He does great work over at Chalk Quality Bets, but do not let the name fool you as he does a tremendous job taking a look at the great game of baseball. We're going to be talking about some teams in general that he's finding a little bit of value on here in the second half. Perhaps a team or two that he thinks might be a buyer or a seller that you can extract a little bit of value, perhaps game to game, perhaps in the futures market there. And then we're gonna be diving into what is not necessarily the world's biggest slate on Monday. It's 10 games in total, but it's a very interesting one. So we're gonna be diving in there in segment number two, in the final segment, gonna get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Monday as we touch them all in here in segment number one. Gonna be rounding up everything that we got on this MLB Sunday. If you ever have any questions, comments, segment idea, what have you for this podcast podcast. You do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore d1. Keep in mind letters M. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other way is via an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via I had that five-star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a fun day of baseball on Sunday. Let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these Seems a little bit better.
0: The games from yesterday
2: is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. The top-under team in baseball thus far this season has been the Cleveland Guardians, but... The Texas Rangers have been one of the top teams in the over, and the over one out in this one, 6-5. to five, The Walker Texas Rangers are able to get the job done as Martin Perez gives up three runs over the course of five and he's Not great, not terrible. He does allow a home run in the process, going deep for Cleveland. Stephen Kwan was able to get home run number three of the season and a little bit later on. It was David Fry. It was not a short fry with his shot. Home run number two of the season. That comes off of Cody Bradford, who in long relief, gave up two runs in three innings before Will Smith got jiggy with it. He was able to pitch a squirrel inning to be able to get it done there, and Marcus Simeon got things started for the Texas Rangers with his 12th home run season, going deep off of Tanner Bibby, as Bibby settled down from there, giving up two runs in six innings, but a Guardians bullpen that has been one of the best in the big leagues all season long had quite a bit of an implosion in the eighth inning, as for the Guardians, they entered into that eighth inning up by a count of 5-2, to and then they gave up a four spot, as Trevor Steven tagged with all four of those runs a third of an inning. And De Los Santos prior to that gave a scroll of saying same advantages from there. Got a pair of outs out of the bullpen, but an absolute killer for the Cleveland Guardians. A team as looking to be able to win a... AL Central, that it feels like right now nobody wants to win. As for the Minnesota Twins, they get the job done, but they get the job done by only one run, five to four. They take down the Oakland A's, so the Oakland A's cash another run line. I believe that they are now like twenty-three and eleven in their last thirty-four games on the run line, so they have been very lucrative with that regard. As for the Twins, A pair of home runs in this one. Alex Kurloff, fifth home run in the campaign, and Christian Vazquez home run number two. That. Those both come off of J.P. Sears, who gave up three runs over the course of six and a third innings with those two home runs. Lucas Ersage, he took the L. He gave up two runs and did not get an out before. Shantaro Fujinami got five outs of the bullpen scoreless. Sammy Long was able to give a scoreless inning as well, it was a day for Mr. Diaz as you had home run number six of the campaign for Jordan Diaz as he was able to go deep off of Joe Ryan, who really didn't have his best stuff. Seven strikeouts, but gives up that home run, three runs in total, and five in a third innings. From there, Emilio Pagan, four outside the bullpen, scoreless. Ore Lopez gets the win despite the fact that he gave up a run and one in a third innings, but Yohan Duran, he's able to close the door, gets a scoreless inning. That is able to get the team to victory as the Oakland A's have actually been a good over team as well. About 55.5% of their games have gone over, and that was another one for them. The New York Yankees have had a tough time generating offense without Aaron judging the full. They put up some runs in extra innings, but the bullpen got a little bit too taxed. 8-7, to seven, the Colorado Rockies get it done in 11 innings against the Yankees as Garrett Cole did his part. No decision from 11 strikeouts, one home run allowed, a solo shot. To uh, Michael Toglia, his second home run season. That's all that he would give up. And then the bullpen allows three home runs. Clay Holmes gives one up to CJ Crone Ninth home run season. Nick Ramirez gives one up to Nolan Jones. His seventh home run of the campaign. And then Alan Trejo is able to get his first home run of the campaign. That comes off of Ron Marinaccio as the home run off of Marinaccio that was the game winner. He gave up that solo home run without getting it out. Nick Ramirez gives up two runs, one of which was earned in the 11th inning. You had Ian Hamilton do, go in and pitch two scoreless innings. Wandy Peralta scoreless setting as well. But Tommy Canley, Clay Holmes, they combined to give up four runs in their eighth inning of work. That was not necessarily too terrific. And Tommy Canley had come into this game having given up as many runs as Greg Peterson. So. That was not terrific for a Yankees team that they now find themselves in dead last in the AL Central. It's the Boston Red Sox. They were able to lay it on the Chicago Cubs by a count of 11-5. Now the Red Sox and the Yankees tied for last at and 44 in the division. For Boston, they got a very good start out of Cutter Crawford. Allows just one hit, six scoreless innings. You did have from there a little bit of a hairy bullpen situation as Jake Feria does allow five runs over the course of two innings, but Jojo Kuz, he was able to end a scoreless inning. And for Boston, trio of home runs as Masataka Yoshida, 11th home run season, Rafael Devers, 23rd of the season. Those both come off of just Justin Steele and then Edward Elzelay gives one up to Tristan Casas. 12th home run season for Elzelay. He gives up that home run. Two runs given up in two-thirds of an inning. Michael Rucker gives up three runs in one and a third innings for Justin Steele. He was not the man of Steele in this one, giving up six runs in six innings, including those two home runs before backup catcher Tucker Barnard has to come in and pitch a scoreless inning. You saw the St. Louis Cardinals be able to get online and get a win over the Washington Nationals. This by a count of 8-4 to four as for the Washington Nationals. This was not the start that they were hoping for out of the Gray. gives up 10 hits, 4 runs in total over the course of 5 innings, including a home run going deep for the St. Louis Cardinals. Nolan Gorman, 18th home run season. He had a bit of a swoon going into the All-Star break. We'll see if that busts him out. And then Jordan Weems gives one up to Paul Goldschmidt, his 16th home run season. For Williams, a terrible outing, giving up four runs while getting one out. Yoan Adon did pitch two scoreless innings on the bullpen, so positivity there. And Jose Farrar, he gets a pair of outs of the bullpen scoreless as well. And for Washington, Keyber Ruiz does go deep for his 10th home run season that comes off of Captain Jack Flaherty, who did give up three runs over the course of six innings, including that home run. From there, Chris Tran, scoreless inning. Jojo Romero, five outs on the bullpen scoreless after Kyle Lee. He got just one out. He allowed a run. Was getting into a little bit of a sticky situation there. But Cardinals, they're able to win the series against the Washington Nationals that they badly needed. If you had the under in Giants versus Pirates, especially if you took the closing right around 10, I think a few 10 and halves even were posted up there as well. This was absolutely brutal. Game is 3 to 3 going into the 10th inning. And then for the Giants, a five spot in the tenth inning. That's just sometimes the way it goes. Eight to four, the Giants are able to get it done. As it was pretty much a piggyback start for Alex Wood and Tristan Beck. Beck goes three and a third innings, giving up a run. Alex Wood one run, giving up in three and two thirds innings. You did have both of the Rogers come into this game. As Taylor Rogers, he gets a pair of outs out of the bullpen, scoreless. Tyler Rogers, he gave up a run while getting just one out of the bullpen. But Ryan Walker, scoreless inning, and then Scott Alexander, unearned run surrendered. In the 10th inning. Meanwhile, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Oswaldo Beto was not long for this game, giving up three runs over the course of two and two thirds innings. From there, you had Cody Bolton along Cullen Holderman, David Benar, all lend a scoreless inning. Anjal Perdomo, two scoreless innings. Ryan Baruki, one and a third inning scoreless as well. But Yuri De Los Santos in that 10th inning, five runs, four of which were earned. That was the death nail for the Pittsburgh Pirates in that one. The uh, DK Network write-up pick of the under in Brewers versus Reds comes through as the Reds in their three-game series against the Brewers he scored three runs. All three came on Sunday, 4-3. to The Milwaukee Brewers are able to get the job done as Adrian Owiser did pitch a little bit like Doogie early on in this game, 5-2-3rds innings. He does allow three runs, including a home run going deep for the Cincinnati Reds. Jake Fraley, he gets home run number 12 of the season, but from there, things are able to settle down as you had Bryce Wilson getting out of the bullpen, O.B. Milner, two scoreless settings, and then Devin Williams, he's able to land a scoreless inning as well. And then for the Cincinnati Reds, Ben Lively didn't give up a ton, but not long for this game. He gives up a solemn home run over the course of four innings to Christian Yelich, thirteenth home run of the campaign. From there, Derek Law he gives up a run while getting just one out of the bullpen. Lucas Sims he goes for two outs, he gives up two runs as Ian Gabo was able to give you five outs out of the bullpen. is Alexis Diaz, Fernando Cruz they both give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. is and Buck Farmer, is setting. So three unders in that series, and the Brewers they get the sweep. So. They are able to get the job done. The Chicago White Sox back-to-back wins against the Atlanta Braves who hadn't lost at home in over a month prior to Saturday. 8-1 to the final as Kobe Allard gets lit up in this game. He got five outs and he gave up four runs all of which were earned including a home run going for the Chicago White Sox. Jake Berger, his 21st home run season and then Luis Robert goes deep off of Mike Soroka for his 27th home run season. Soroka in long relief gives up two runs in three innings including that home run. Colin McHugh gives up two runs in one one and two-thirds innings as Ben Ellerperov outside the bullpen, Kirby Yates, Rossi Iglesias, they both lined a scoreless inning and for Dylan Cease, he made the Atlanta Braves hitters cease to exist giving up a one-run over the course of five innings. Aaron Bummer, not a bummer here two scoreless innings as we know the Lopez Jesse Schultens both lined a scoreless inning as well. So, it gets the White Sox to the window and that gets them two out of three from the Atlanta Braves as and Central is going to be very fascinating as you know, the Detroit Tigers go down against the Seattle Mariners by a count of 2 to 0s for Reese Olsen. Not a bad start here. He gives up two runs over the course of five and a third innings. Going deep for the Seattle Mariners off of him. Kyle Raleigh 12th home run season. From there Mason Englert. Two scoreless innings. Jason Sharif gets a pair of outs on the bullpen. Scoreless in then for Seattle. It was Bryce Miller making his first start off the injured list and looked very solid. Only 70 pitches but five scoreless innings out of him. And then Paul Sewell, Justin Topa, Matt Brash, Andres Munoz. They're able to turn a scoreless inning. By the way, this is going to surprise a lot of people but the Tigers currently thus far this season. 55% of their games have gone over the total despite the fact that they have been one of the lighter hitting teams in the big leagues. The Kansas City Royals have also been one of the lighter hitting teams in the big leagues. They've been playing a lot more of their games to the under. That was not the case on Sunday though. As the Tampa Bay Rays, the third best team to the over thus far this season. 56.5% of their games have gone over. They fall to the Kansas City Royals by kind of 8-4 to as the Royals. They were really just able to put it on Zach Heflin Five runs given up in three innings by him. Yoni Torinos in long relief goes four and two thirds innings. He allows three runs, all of which were solo home runs. Going deep, MJ Melendez, 7th home run season. Drew Waters, 4th home run season. Bobby Witt Jr., 16th home run in the campaign before Jake Diekman gets it out on the bullpen. And for the Rays, they did get a pair of home runs of their own off of Brady Singer, as Francisco Mejia gets his 5th home run season and Isak Paredes is 17th. For Singer, was able to fill eight innings, giving up four runs, giving up those two home runs. But with the way that this Royals bullpen is, that was probably the best option. At Scott Barlow from there, was able to end a squirrel of settings, so the Royals able to salvage one game in this series for the Philadelphia Phillies and the San Diego Padres. These two teams played a grand total of 30 innings over the last two days. As this game won 12 innings on Sunday, the Phillies they pull it out by a count of 7 to 6. As for the Padres, Seth Lugo he gave length, but it wasn't necessarily great. He gave up five runs in five and a third innings, including a pair of home runs. Bryson Sott, eighth home run of the season. Kyle Schorber, his 25th. And for Zach Wheeler, he was trying to wheel and deal. Gives up three runs in seven innings, including a pair of home runs going deep. for the Padres, Xander Bogart's 11th home run season. Austin Kim is 11th. And then for the Phillies, Gregory Soto. He caused this game to go to X-rays. He gave up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. Junior Marte from there, he gets it out on the bullpen. Craig Kimbrell, scoreless inning. Matt Strom in extra innings. Gives up an unearned run in the 10th inning. And then Jeff Hoffman, two scoreless innings in the 11th and the 12th inning. To be able to get it done. For the Philadelphia Phillies, as the Padres' bullpen was relatively solid as well. Tom Cosgrove, one and two-thirds innings scoreless. Nick Martinez, two scoreless innings. Josh Hader gives up an unearned run in Xers. And then Tim L, one and two-thirds innings, gives up an unearned run with the ghost runner on second base. So they did their part, but for South Lugo, probably need to do a little bit more. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, offense did their part, but the pitching did not. 7-5, to five, the Toronto Blue Jays able to get this one done as for Tommy Henry, Gives up three runs and four in the third innings, but it was really Scott McGough that really made this game – Go away for the Arizona Diamondbacks, giving out four runs while getting just one out, out of the bullpen. You'd have Kevin Ginkle, lend one and two-thirds innings, scoreless. Miguel Castro was able to get a scoreless setting and then got a pair of outs out of the bullpen from Justin Martinez for Arizona. No home runs. They go just one of six with men in scoring position as they actually took advantage of a pair of errors from the Toronto Blue Jays. Blue Jays commit a pair of errors as the Diamondbacks they score five runs on four hits in this one. You say Kikuchi. Gives up two runs in four and two thirds innings. From there, you did have Mitch White give up three runs in two thirds inning. Not necessarily too trustworthy there, but you had Jay Jackson, Trevor Richards, Yimmy Garcia, all a scoreless inning, and Eric Swanson, Tim Mesa. They both get an out of the bullpen. Scoreless, the Baltimore Orioles. They're able to get a W over the Miami Marlins by a count of five to four as for Baltimore. All of a sudden, they are very much creeping up in the AL East standings. They are currently just one game back of the Tampa Bay Rays. As for Miami, Stephen Okert was the opener, and that was costly for the team. He gave up every single one of the earned runs that was surrendered by Miami. He gave up three earned runs and a third of an inning going deep for the Baltimore Orioles off of him. Anthony Santander, 100th career home run and 17th home run season from him. George Soriano from there comes in, gives up two runs and three innings, but they were all unearned runs. Johnny Cueto has a little bit of a bulk guy. Three scoreless innings. You had Tanner Scott, Linda's scoreless setting, and Uskar Brazobin gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen scoreless. Meanwhile, for Baltimore, Kyle Bradish seven and a third inning scoreless. Things got very bizarre late as a man by the name of Edward Bazzardo comes in and gives up three runs in a third of an inning, but Ryan Baker gets a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and so does Danny Colombe. Colombe does give up a run along the way, but Baltimore able to get it done, and they are creeping up in terms of that race, and then we did see this game go to extra innings, and the Mets they got a win that they badly needed. Are they going to be buyers at the deadline? They probably should not be, but you know what? The Mets got something to go their way. Two to one, the final. As the Mets have now scored three runs since the All-Star break, but enough to be able to get it done here. As Bobby Miller gives up just one run in four and two-thirds innings for starter right all From there, a third of an inning scoreless. Ryan Brazier, Phil Bickford, Alex Vesia, Evan Phillips all into scoreless innings before you have an unearned run given up in the. Tenth inning by Nick Robertson for the LA Dodgers. They go just one of eleven with men in scoring position as Max Scherzer was tremendous. Gave up, one it, and no runs in seven scoreless innings. Trevor got he got got giving up a run in a third of an inning, but David Robertson two scoreless innings to be able to get the W and Brooks Raley he's able to get a pair of outs. Out of the bullpen scoreless going up against a Dodgers team that had been the best team to the over in all of baseball entering into Sunday. And then to wrap up the day, the LA Angels in primetime completely blew their game against the Houston Astros. They were up two runs going into the ninth inning. They give up a four spot in the ninth inning, and thus the LA Angels lose another one. This was a game that was completely all over the place with Tyler Anderson only being able to go three innings, gave up one run along the way, and then First few guys on the bullpen, not bad. Zach Weiss, one and two-thirds saying scoreless. Jose Soriano, scoreless saying, And then Jacob Webb gives up a pair of solo home runs. It is one and third innings of work. Carlos Estevez gives up two runs, including a home run in his inning of work. And Aimei Badia, with his zero career saves, gives up four runs in the ninth, including a pair of home runs to trash bin this game. As going deep off of him... You had Alex Bregman get his 13th home run of the season. Kyle Tucker is 14th. And earlier on in the game, you had Chaz McCormick go deep twice, 10th and 11th home runs of the season. Then you had one Jake Myers be able to get his 7th home run of the season for Christian Javier. Not great, not terrible. Gives up three runs over the course of five innings. Did allow a home run along the way, going deep. Mike Boustakis is 8th home run of the season. You had Rafael Montero, who I call Rafael Montero Bull, give up a run in one and a third innings of work. Phil Maton, he was able to get the final three outs to be able to get this one done. As Joe Kuno before that did give up three runs while getting one and two thirds innings, but still Astros able to get the job done there. And if you are looking at the landscape of Major League Baseball right now, about as 50 50 as it gets in terms of overs and unders this year 671 overs, 671 unders, and a few pushes along the way. Favorites. They are currently hitting at about 58.5%, 815, 576 straight up. If you're looking at the run line, we have seen now 206 favorites. Failed to cover the run line. If you're looking at the last 30 days favorites, hitting in that same neighborhood, 207 and 148. That's about a 58.3% rate. With All but 42 of these favorites being able to cover the run line. So favorites have been very good on the run line recently. And in this time span, the last 30 days, 176 overs to 164 unders. And if you're looking at just the last few days, ever since teams have gotten back from the all-star break, And it's been a lot of overs, 27 overs to 18 unders since returning from the all-star break with favorites in the science fan going 30 and 16 straight up. So that's what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now. And that's what we all got on Sunday. Coming up next, we're going to be talking with Justin Perry, looking at Monday's games and just some of the betting angles that he has going into the trade deadline. That's up next right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now a part of the Visa Family Podcast.
3: I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units' return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at sbia1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports.
1: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
2: And we're back, you love you, Las Vegas, for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to be joined by this man as Justin Perry. He does great work over at Shock bully bets, but do not let the name fool you because this man also does an amazing job taking a look at the great game of baseball. He has been joining me on this podcast for, really the last two years. It is a man that is based out there in the Northeast part of the country and a man that you are able to follow. at Justin Perry, the number eight You want to note that that last name is spelled P E R R I and Justin. It is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you,
4: Greg. It is always a pleasure to be here. Love joining the show. Highlight of my week every time because I get to talk a little bit about the way I approach baseball and you know combine our outlooks to try to find some good plays.
2: Absolutely, and I always love having you aboard. Since you're one of the best minds I know at being able to find money in so many different markets and. Justin, just in terms of the second half of the season, we are just fresh off the all-star break. Now all these teams, they've got one series under their belt. Are there a few teams that you are honing in on, whether they are providing good value in fading them or providing good value backing them? Because as we know, with the way that things are set up in baseball, you've got a lot of teams that are sort of on the borderline of being buyers and sellers. So, this is actually a very critical next few weeks for a lot of these teams. It
4: really is. I mean, this is arguably one of the most interesting times in baseball leading up to the trade deadline because there's a lot of hypothesizing and you know trying to figure out where a team is going to actually go with their intentions. Being a buyer is a pretty tough position for most teams. You have to have high convictions and aspirations towards what you're going for in the year, and usually things have to be clicking. And I think it's been an interesting year for a lot of teams because there's been some severe disappointments and maybe, you know, some severe competition. I mean, I know the AL East, all five teams at 50 wins, a lot of eyes there to see what teams are going to make moves to try to get into the wild card in the AL. It's definitely going to be pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, it really is going to be very interesting. And in terms of a little bit more of a futures perspective, is there there any teams in general that you are thinking that, Maybe they're being a little bit overvalued slash undervalued right now in this trade deadline period. Because I do think that every single year we get a few surprise sellers. Last year it was the Milwaukee Birds, which that did not sit well with me. Being a man from Wisconsin whatsoever when they traded away Josh Hader, I am still very salty about that. But I think trying to hone in on a Suedo seller I think is the best way of being able to put it be something that is very profitable. Is there a team or two that you think could provide good value, whether that be fading them or backing them, in the futures market right now?
4: It's definitely tough. My mind definitely goes towards that NL Central, which feels like there's a lot of room. I think the Cubs, for the price, it's, it's a long shot still. I mean, you're talking usually 10-1, to 11-1 is what I've been seeing in the last couple of days. Brewers do have a good lead right now, especially after the Cubs dropped a game to the Red Sox here on sunday it's a little bit tough but i do think they have the talent i mean i'm a big fan of christopher Morrell we've seen that bellinger has been playing a lot better and they do have the staff to do it of course this is one of those teams where you're making this bet with the hope they don't move marcus stroman with the hope that they think that they're in it and i do think that they are the Brewers have been carried a lot this season by the likes of small wins christian yelich leading the lineup, small ball victories. They, are, I have a negative run differential. And we see time and time again that teams that look like that can struggle to actually close at the end of the year. I know plenty well how a Milwaukee Brewers offense can look come the end of the season. They can go fully anemic on you. We've seen it in the postseason, and we could see it again. Now, I mean, the Reds have definitely slowed down, so I think... The Cubs have a chance. Eight games does sound like a lot. But if you get hot and you win some of the series against your opponents in the division, you could definitely make it close come the end of the year. It is only mid-July. We are at, I think, you know, 95 games for most teams, 94 games. So you do have a good chunk left. Crazier things have happened. Bigger collapses have been seen. So If you like that type of bet, I do think the Cubs at 10 to 11 to 1 has some value. Another one, really quick, I talked about it on my Twitter a couple weeks ago. The Tigers, I think, had some good value. I was probably even a little late to that party. I mean, the Twins do have a sizable lead here, but they can definitely go flat from time to time. I've seen them barely scrape by a couple of these wins against the A's. They padded their record a little bit, but if if the tough gets going, I don't know if the Twins are that tough. So I think those middle-of-the-pack teams look pretty good. And then I would probably leave the rest of the divisions alone. They feel kind of set. The Dodgers probably will pick up the pace a little bit more as the season goes on.
2: I feel like a schmuck, but I took the Detroit Tigers at 35-1 to to win the division. So we shall see what happens there. As joining me on the show, we do have Justin Perry. He does great work over at Child Quality Bets. And I don't think that this will hurt this future. Going up against the Kansas City Royals with Jordan Lyles, who... The Kansas City Royals are 1-16, and it starts this far this season, so that's a good place to start. Matt Manning is going to be going for the Detroit Tigers, and with the Tigers, they're between about minus 120 to minus 130 on the money line with a total of 9.5, and certainly I do think that the Detroit Tigers should be able to win this game. I mean, everyone has been beating the Kansas City Royals when Jordan Lyles has been on the mound, but I do take a look at this total of 9.5, and... I think there's going to be a little bit of positivity with Jordan Lyles. You look at the advanced numbers, and he is still stunk. He hasn't stunk to the point of his 640 ERA, though. And for Matt Manning, he's coming off of that combined no-hitter. I like the way that he is rolling right now with two of the uh, bottom four teams in the big leagues in terms of both on-base percentage and runs per game. I just don't see how the offense is going to be able to get to this total of 9.5.
4: Yeah, we have seen a little bit of a pickup, I think, from the Royals in the last few days, but I think this is a good spot for an under. I know Salvador Perez got lifted after chucking from first to third in Sunday's game, so a big part of the Royals' offense might actually not be there if it isn't injury-related. I haven't seen any updates yet, but that's usually not great for a catcher who isn't much of a runner to not come back. He got pulled in the second inning, so that could be interesting. But yeah, I think this one probably ends up being a little sweatier than we maybe expect, but I do lean under. I think 9.5 probably is a little high, Lyles could easily get into some trouble against the Detroit team that does have the capacity to put up five or six runs. But you definitely are looking for the Royals to be the driver behind that over. And if you don't trust them to score, I think you could definitely look towards these teams to stay under, especially the Royals. I think especially after an offensive day and then, you know, having a new team come in and, and facing Matt Manning, who, like you said, has been a little bit improved in his last handful of plate appearances Didn't look great against the Rockies, but I honestly respect four runs over five innings at course. I think you should at this point, knowing how the ball travels there. Only five hits, four runs, four earned, and struck out a couple. The strikeout numbers have been improving a little bit. Past performances against the Rangers and the Blue Jays and the Astros, he's played some tough competition this season, so I'm not really too concerned about manning against these Royals. I think that's a good avenue if you want to target just one team, or maybe even have them limited in the first five team totals which I'm very excited to be able to start playing again a little bit because I've been on vacation
2: I do think that that's a good look on that front as well as the Royals they do have Jordan Lyles going and they don't necessarily have the world's greatest bullpen so always have a little bit of trepidation taking it under when you've got those two attributes but at the same time, you have lots of trepidation taking it over when you've got the Tigers offense and the Royals offense in the same game as well so you're (laughs) able to take a look at it from both ways there, and this one I think is very interesting as well, because as we know, with the Tampa Bay Rays, they've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Shane McClannan, but he is going to be making the start for them on Monday. Dane Dunning is going to look to get her Dunning for the Texas Rangers, and total on this game is 8.5 with the Rays, getting them in that neighborhood about a minus minus one twenty-five. How do you view this game? Because with Shane McClannan, when he has been fully healthy, he has been pretty much the AL Cy Young Award leader in the clubhouse, but for Shane McClanahan, we just don't know if he's fully 100% in this spot. Yeah, this
4: is a tough spot against an offense that can definitely take advantage of you if you make a few errors. We're not talking about small stakes here from McClanahan. If he's not on, I mean, you know, he still definitely can locate his pitchers. But we, we look for that velocity for him to really be effective. And, of course, the breaking ball movement, that kind of makes him who he is. He's almost impossible to hit when he's healthy. So if the Rangers can sort of get a hold of a guy who isn't fully himself, but this team is definitely... Trying to you know stay as hot as they were. I think we have seen a little bit of a slowdown. The Baltimore Orioles are what one game behind right now. I don't I don't think anyone was really expecting that. Sixty and 36, 57 and thirty five. It's pretty crazy. So I'm I'm pretty interested to see how the Rays continue to fight. They lost a big game to Kansas City, you know, a team that we didn't expect to have three and seven stretches in their last ten, looking to you know not lose this first spot. You have a Texas team that has 55 wins, and I think the slowdown has been a regression waiting to happen a little bit. Maybe that's some of my annoying New Yorker bias coming in. But both Toronto and Baltimore are hot, Boston hot, won eight games. Obviously, the Yankees are kind of an afterthought, unfortunately, at this point. I mean, you know, tied with the Red Sox for last. But I don't know. This is going to be an interesting series for the Rays. I think you can look for Texas to maybe continue their tough nature they will put up those runs so maybe fading McClanahan if you're still getting favorable numbers on his earned runs allowed the rays will still compete but i think it could be at a different style of game it's not going to be like this pitcher dual shutout we're going to see some runs so i like an over and i like the rangers to score for sure
2: yeah but with the rangers they have been a constant on offense all season long and for the tampa bay rays they've got pretty much seven different guys that have hit at least 11 home runs as far this the season and all but one of them hitting above a 260. So that's a pretty good duo as well. And for Dane Dunning, he's not going able to get any strikeouts at all. So a total of 8.5 I do think is a little bit too low as well as Justin Perry. He does great work over at Chalk Quality Bets. He is joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And I think this team is very interesting as well. What do we make out of the Cincinnati Reds and the fact that at home, and as we know, Great American Ballpark, one of the best hitters havens that you're going to find in all of baseball, They scored three runs in three games against the Milwaukee Brewers. Now they welcome the San Francisco Giants to town with Logan Webb going. Now, Logan Webb obviously has never been the same pitcher when he has been on the road than he has been at home, but still pretty darn solid. Giants are right around a minus 155 favorite with a total between 9.5 and 10. And for the Reds, I do think that the lack of real home run thumping power is right now what's hurting them.
4: Definitely. I think there was a lot of perception around Ellie De La Cruz. Very worth it. He came out with a bang, but this team has kind of slowed a little bit, and I think they're sort of looking for their identity without that full hype. I know there were some rumors about uh, Encarnacion Strand getting pulled from the Louisville lineup, so potentially seeing some names come up. I know Grayson Rodriguez is actually getting a call for Monday, which is very interesting for the Orioles. But yeah, I mean, pitching at Great American Ballpark is never easy. You're talking about a place where, you know, the winds definitely tend to go out. It's going to be a beautiful, like, 75, 80 degrees there. It's not going to be too hot. I think you could see both teams score on a night like that. Uh, we do often see runs in Cincinnati. But The Giants are definitely looking to make a little bit of a statement here. These teams are pretty similarly equipped in terms of where they are in their divisional race. The Giants are still right in it with the Dodgers and definitely don't expect to fall out. In terms of their pitching staff, I think that's where the Giants will really have an edge. Their bullpen has been pretty solid. And the Reds, you know, can give up a couple runs late and blow a game or two. And I think that's likely what we'll see at some point in the series. So... I'll take the Giants, expect them to win, you know, two out of the three games here that they're playing. I think I haven't seen the full schedule, but yeah, I would expect to come out ahead if I took the Giants for the series.
2: Yep, I'm right there with you. And with Brandon Williamson, as he pitched a little bit better recently, yes, three runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts, but he's also won five innings or fewer in each out of those last five starts. And he's had a pair of starts in which he has went two and three innings as well. So I do take that with a little bit of grain of salt. And you mentioned Grayson Rodriguez and the fact that he is going to be going for the Baltimore Orioles and is going to be the young gun for the LA Dodgers and Emmett Sheehan is going to be getting the start here. And with Baltimore, I'm seeing a DraftKings opener of minus 120 on them. How do you view this one? Because when Grayson Rodriguez got called up, the swing and miss stuff was there, but you could tell that he was missing location a little bit. And I think that Rodriguez is going to be awesome for the Orioles. I just don't know if he's going to be an impact guy this season or not, and I do think that he might be someone that could benefit from a little bit more time at the minor league level, though, Perhaps second time around at the big league level, could do him a little bit of good as well.
4: Yeah, you know, he definitely deserved to have a chance to come up. Uh, This is one of those guys where we get to talk about him right now, struggling, and it's probably going to be a short-lived topic. Grayson Rodriguez is poised to be one of the top 10 arms in the MLB for a while, at least that's what all of his statistics point at and you know struggled up in the majors and then they sent down to start june it's been pretty electric i mean only given up three runs i believe pitched about 37 innings or so with the norfolk tides so he has been electric he had a 12 strikeout six inning outing multiple other double digit strikeout days so The stuff's there at the minors. It's just about translating to the majors, maybe getting his head right, his preparation right. Maybe the games needs to slow down a little bit more for him. He's definitely on the younger side, coming in at 23. I think we will see him succeed. It's just about when. So I know the Orioles are in a very unique spot. I mean, this is a guy who is expected to lead them, probably someone who needs to turn the corner for them in order to make a championship series. Uh, or, or clinch the division out from under the rays when no one thought they would. I'm really excited about Rodriguez. It's gonna happen at some point. I'm not sure if this is exactly the time that it will. Expect the O's to be very, very sensitive with him. They will pull him early if it doesn't look good. If you can get odds on like pitching outs going under seems pretty smart. Of course the Dodgers, you know, can put up runs in a hurry Baltimore is an interesting park. It should favor Rodriguez, but this is still a very formidable lineup that will look to capitalize on the young kids' mistakes if he makes anything.
2: And this is one of the most difficult lines to face off against as well. With the Dodgers, not necessarily the world's greatest team in terms of batting average, but you've got all those guys are able to draw walks. And Grayson Rodriguez, one of his biggest issues has been missing location. Then when you do miss location in the zone, they pound it out for Homer it's not necessarily great as well. And Justin, it's a little bit of a smaller card because it is a travel day for some of these teams. But any games that we haven't talked about that you do have your eye on? Yeah, I mean, I think really interesting
4: series coming up between the Cardinals and the Marlins. Both these teams have, you know, been a little bit on the struggling side. I mean, the Marlins have looked great, but they've definitely cooled off a bit to in these last couple of weeks across the break. Meanwhile, I mean, the Cardinals have, you know, been taking care of business a little bit more, of course, an atrocious atrocious start of the season that probably puts them in the cellar seat. But maybe they're just exemplifying that Jack Flaherty can get some good starts. But Nicholas versus Zardo should be a very interesting matchup. I think Miami has a really good shot here to try to win this series. So I'm going to be looking for the road team to get it done. I think that should be an interesting series. The Cardinals let the Nationals hang around a lot. And I think just having a team that plays the game kind of tight and is looking for a little bit of a bounce back. Lazardo should be able to take care of business. I think these Cardinals aren't exactly the team that we've seen and Lazardo's numbers look great. His slugging numbers are a little average but he doesn't give up a lot of hits and you know the Cardinals haven't been great against lefties like they used to be. So I think it's a pretty good spot to take the fish.
2: With Miles Michaelis he has been very inconsistent and has actually been worse at home than he has been on the road. Aces Lizardo has also had his issues on the road. And right now, seeing it a total of eight, that just to me seems a little bit too low. Even though the Miami Marlins have been a little bit of a top-heavy lineup. I do think that we're looking at something a tad bit too low there. But a man that I'm always eye on because this man does absolutely tremendous work. That would be you, Justin. What the good people at home know it's all on tap for you, and how people are able to follow along with all of your work on social media and other platforms. Of course.
4: Thank you, Greg. It is always a pleasure to be here chat a little bit about baseball. This is what I do all summer while we wait for college basketball to kind of come back. The work that we're doing over with shot quality bets is really great, developing some of the most advanced metrics for evaluating the game of basketball. We have some really great WNBA numbers over there right now, but definitely laying and updating our data, trying to get to November and October as fast as we can to get some college basketball back. But in the meantime, definitely check out my Twitter. I do a lot of different baseball handicapping, pay attention to a lot of maybe different things, looking at environmental conditions, pitch types, all this type of advanced stuff, really digging into savant data. So should have a lot of plays for the whole rest of the year and uh, hopefully continue a pretty dang good season so far, if I don't say so myself.
2: That's what we like to hear as Justin does a great job in so many different markets all forms of basketball does a great job with baseball does a great job with football does a little bit of everything and every single time he joins this podcast always lends tremendous insights as well a big thanks to justin for joining me on the baseball betting show now part of the visa family podcast and coming up next it is that time of the podcast they give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this mlb monday as we touch them all
3: I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
0: NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft.
3: on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
2: And we're back here with Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to get Justin Perry aboard. He does amazing work over at Shot Quality Bets, but... Shock you doing a little bit more than just the NBA and college basketball. Justin does an incredible job taking a look at the game of baseball. Showing me the last few years on this podcast, every single time he does, lends tremendous insights, much like today. So, big thanks to Justin for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis. On every game on the betting board for this Mob Monday, as we touch them all. If a game is listed
0: on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
2: Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore eighty one. We are going to be going in Las Vegas tomorrow. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and any Interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's dive in on this first game of 901, 902 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants, they hit the road; their other facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Brandon Williamson, getting the start for them. Logan Webb is going for the Giants. At the very least, he was listed up on the board. Right now, I'm seeing on Both ESPN and MLB to be determined once again. I'm thinking it's going to be Logan Webb, though. Between minus 150 to minus 155 is the price on the San Francisco Giants. And you've got between plus 135 and plus 140 on the Reds. 9.5 to 10 is the total on the 10. Under is minus 120. The over is even on the 9.5. Over is minus 115. And the under is minus 105. As long as we do indeed get Logan Webb, this is a price I'd be willing to take. On the San Francisco Giants. And if you are looking at their run line. You're going to be laying right around about a minus 105. Was willing to go up to a minus 110. On the Giants on that run line. And when it comes to the money line. I did set it at more of a minus 167. Now throughout his career. We have seen Logan Webb have a little bit of a struggle. When he has been on the road. As opposed to when he is at home. His ERA raises up by about a point. But even with that. He still only gives up for his career. About a home run per nine. And he's on the road. And he is going up against the Cincinnati Red Team. That. They're in the bottom nine in the big leagues in terms of total home runs. They do have more home runs at home rather than on the road, but very interestingly, even though Cincinnati has a ballpark factor that's in the top five in terms of hitting in all baseball, they've been scoring fewer runs at home than they have been on the road. Their on-base percentage falls a little bit when they are at home, and they scored three runs since the All-Star break. I do think that they're going to be able to bust out of that swoon. You do have a trio of guys, Jonathan India, Jake Fraley, along with Spencer Sear, all with between 12 and 14 home runs. With Steer and Fraley both have a 363 on base. You've been able to have Matt McLean hit for a 300 TJ Friedel, more around a 295. Obviously, LA De La Cruz has been tremendous for this bunch, but he had one hit in that entire series against Milwaukee Brewers. So he is someone that is still just 21 years old. He's going to have his ups and downs all in all, though. This Red team does move the line, but for the San Francisco Giants, they do a significantly better job of hitting when they're on the road rather than when they're at home. It's not because they just focus up when they're on the road or anything like that. Just because they're a ballpark factor in general. San Francisco won the most butcher-friendly ballparks that you're going to find in the big leagues. You've got the Giants averaging right around 4.05 runs per game at home, More like 5.3 runs per game when they're on the road. And a big reason why it's just so much easier for them to be able to hit home runs when they're on the road. This is a Giants bunch. Of, they're averaging right around 1.3 to 1.4 home runs per game on the road compared to just one home run when they are at home. And the Giants, the way that they are constructed, it's a lot of platooning against righties and lefties with the San Francisco Giants. Your leader in home runs right now is 13 with Michael Conforto. But you've got pretty much seven different guys will have been able to slug out at least nine home runs as far this season, so great balance overall. Got someone like a J.D. Davis, who's able to hit a 270, double-figure amount of homers, 350 on base, Lamonte Wade Jr., 410 on base, nine home runs. Very balanced, very good lineup of just being able to find a way to get on base. They've got one of the top road on base percentages in all baseball, and for the Giants as well. Number one in terms of bullpen ERA ever since the beginning of the month of May, you've got both of the Rodgers brothers coupled with the likes of a Ryan Walker throwing their Scholar Alexander all being able to supply a sub 3 3 ERA this far of the season. I do think that Logan Webb is going to be all bared on, assuming that we do get him. He has added a 4 24 ERA on the road this far of the season, and for the Reds, the team has done a solid job in their bullpen as well. Both of these teams did have to use up quite a bit of their bullpen. Yesterday for the Giants, they went extra innings, been lively, unable to land five innings for the Reds. But Alexis Diaz has been one of the better closers in the big leagues. Ian Gabo, Buck Farmer, Alex Young giving you a 3-3 ERA better has been solid. But the big thing for the Reds is that Brandon Williamson has actually pitched a little bit better recently. Three earned runs of fear surrendered in each out of his last five games now. Comes with a bit of an asterisk. It's went five innings or fewer in every one of those starts. And it's been a little bit worse at home rather than on the road. 540 Home compared to a 4.95 Here on the road. He is giving up about 1.5 home runs per nine innings, right around 3.7 walks per nine innings, and he's fielding independent. also north of five. And it's not too terrific, so I do think that the Giants should be able to take it to the Reds, but I do think that this might be a little bit of a sneaky, low scoring game. Reds have had a tough time getting their offense going since the All-Star break, so I did set my total at 9.3, looking at the under, and looking at the Giants on the run line. 903, 904 on the betting board. The Miami Marlins at the road phase off against the St. Louis Cardinals as Ace Lucasardo goes. For Miami, and Miles Michaelis is on the bump for St. Louis. Only DraftKings has a number up on this game. Cardinals are minus 115, minus 105 on the fish. 8 is your total. Over is minus 120, and the under is even. I did set my total at an 8.9. I am going to be taking a look at the over. We've got a St. Louis Cardinals team that is averaging north of 5 runs per game at home. On the road, this falls to more like 4 runs per game. And for Aces Rosardo, he has had his struggles when he has been on the road. 243 on or A button. A 4.64 ERA on the road. On the road, Lozardo giving up nearly 1.5 home runs per nine innings. Now he's also only giving up about two walks per nine innings on the road. But opponents are also hitting a 2.87 off of him. For Miles Michaelis, it has been very much a topsy turvy season, and for Miles Michaelis, he has not been the same pitcher when he has been at home rather than when he has been on the road. A 5.01 homey area compared to a roady area right around a 3.44. This, despite the fact that Miles Michaelis has given up three home runs at 50 in 58 third innings at home. At home, he's giving up about 1.7 walks. Per nine innings, but he does give up a lot of hard contact with Miles Michaelis. He's only getting right around about 6 half strikeouts per nine innings, so that's a bit of an issue by hard contact. I don't necessarily mean homers. I mean more like doubles, more like extra bases, things of that nature. So that has been hurting him a little bit. And for the Cardinals, what else has been... Gasly for the team is without Ryan Elsley in the fold. You don't have a single guy in this bullpen that has pitched north of seven innings, other than Dakota Hudson, who's actually become really the long reliever for the seam and has pitched ten total innings this far this season with an ERA below a three five. Got so many guys like a Jordan Hicks throwing there, Chris Stratton, Giovanni Gallegos, Jojo Romero, all posting up an ERA right around about a four a four two five things of that nature. So. It's been all over the place there. And for the Miami Marlins, A.J. Puck is starting to become unreliable. He's been giving you an ERA right around four. You've got a Marlins bullpen that they were very much used up yesterday. They had to throw Johnny Cueto as a little bit of a bulk guy. And it was just a poo-poo platter of guys coming in out of the bullpen. Steven Okert, the opener from yesterday, about a 325 ERA. along with Uskar Brazobin. But but on all, it's a Miami Marlins bullpen that is average to below average as well. And for the Miami Marlins, Bottom three team in the National League in terms of runs per game, but you do have a lot of star power at the top. Or Ace 24 home runs. He's able to give you about a 350 on base. Lisa rise just continues it. He is hitting a 380 thus far this season. It's just going longer and longer. And a young guy that they called up, uh, Dane Myers. It's a small sample size of about two weeks, but he's been hitting about a 400. I don't think that that'll continue, but could he be like a 275 hitter? I do think so. And they got the likes of Joey Wendell, Brian De La Cruz, John Birdie, Yuli Gurriel, Garrett Cooper, all hitting between about a 260 to 275. I know that like, Cooper has been dealing with a few ailments over the last few days. Has been in and out of the fold throughout the entirety of the season. But Joey Wendell, over the last 40 days, has been able to above a 300. And for the San Luis Cardinals, you do have a bunch of ranks in the top eight in the big leagues in terms of home runs on a per at bat basis between Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Nolan Gorman combined 54 home runs. Problem is, Owen Gorman is hitting below 200 over the last 40 days with, I believe, three home runs. That is not necessarily too terrific. Paul DeYoung has actually been able to give you 12 home runs at about a 310 on base. And Brandon Donovan's moving line, 375 on base, like what I've seen thus far this season. Uh Jordan Walker as well has been a little bit up and down, but all in all, he's been able to do a nice job hitting for about a 275 as well. But Alec Burleson has been a little bit rough as well. And credit where credit is due. Wilson Contreras has had a very rough season, but if you look at his last three days, he's hitting a 410, so he's been able to put it in gear quite a bit, so if you do get Michaelis versus Lazardo, I would be willing to set the Cardinals as a very slight favorite on the opener between minus 115 to a minus 105. For one, I want to wait for the timeline where it's minus 105 on both sides out here in Las Vegas to really be gauging that, but would be willing to lay up to a minus 105 with the Cardinals. We need at least a plus 107 on the Marlins. I did set my at an 8.9, so if we do get that 8, going to be taking a look at the over. 905-906 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs play out to the Washington Nationals. McKenzie Gore goes for the dance, and Drew Smiley is on the bump for the Cubs. Cubs are a favorite of between minus 140 to minus 145. Between plus 145 and plus 130 is your number on Washington. We have no total up on this game because it is based on the Wrigley Field win, and from everything I'm seeing, the wind is really not going to be playing too much of a role in this game. It is going to be sort of moving all over the place as the game is going along, but I'm right now seeing the wind blowing in at about 2 or so miles per hour to begin the game. Towards the very, very end of the game, it might be blowing out a little bit, but I don't think it's going to make too much of a profound impact on this game. As a result, with the Cubs, I did something at a minus 158 on the money line. If I'm able to get a plus 125 on the run line as well, would entertain that. We have no run lines up on this game because you need a total in order to have a run line because much easier to win by multiple runs in a high scoring game rather than a low scoring game. That's why you don't have a run line. But that said, with Drew Smiley, certainly has been a little bit of a hot and cold season for him. First month and a half, two months of the season. He was pitching above his skis. Last month or so he has been getting a little bit unlucky, so we shall see if Water is able to find its level. Overall for the season, 431 ERA, fielding independent more around a 480. He's been getting only about 7.5 strikeouts at 3.3 walks per nine innings, With Drew Smiley has been very hit or miss when he's been at home. He either delivers a tremendous start or he gets lit up. It has not been a lot of in-between as he's been giving up about a home run and a half per nine innings when he's been at home. And for Mackenzie Gore, the big key for him, limiting the walks because he's been getting right around ten point nine strikeouts per nine innings, but he's also giving up three point nine walks per nine innings, one point four home runs per nine as well. He's been slightly better on the road than he has been at home. Giving up about one point two home runs per nine innings, but as face off against the Chicago Cubs team that they do a good job of being able to get on base. They don't necessarily have a ton of thumping power. Cody Bellinger, he's starting to turn it on though, hitting for a 300. He's been able to slug out 12 home runs this far this season. And Patrick Wisdom, Christopher Morel, both have 15 home runs. Wisdom not getting on base, hitting below a 200. But Christopher Morel, he's one of many players. As you've got Morel, Nick Madrigal, Miguel Amaya, Nico Horner, all hitting between about a 270 to 280. With Amaya right around a 400 on base. Ian Happ doesn't hit for the greatest average, but finds way on 375 on base. But that's uh, not a ton of power. Danzie Swanson about a 345 on base. 10 home runs. It's functional. But what has actually been solid for the Cubs, we're starting to see a little bit of reversal here. But going into the game on Sunday, they were a tough five team in terms of bullpenny over the last 35 days. As Michael Fulmer, along with Julian Merriweather, have really had rough starts to the season. Ebony will pick it up now for Merryweather. Been a rough last, we're going to call it, week or two for him. So, bit of an issue there. Mark Leiter Jr., along with some like Ed bear Alsley. they've been the main constants for the seamen. And- Good news for the Cubs is they are going up against the Washington Nationals bullpen that is dead last in the National League in terms of ERA. Jordan Weems is giving you a sub-3 ERA, and Hunter RV has not been bad, but Hunter RV is now injured, so that makes a bad bullpen even worse, which means that you're relying upon the likes of Paulo Espino, Corey Abbott, Johan Adon, Amos Willingham, all guys that you want absolutely no part of whatsoever, and for the Washington Nationals, they get on base, they're a top-8 team in terms of overall batting average, as you've got Lane Thomas sitting at 314 home runs. Jameer Candelario, about a 340 on base. He's been able to supply 13 home runs, and for the Nationals, few strikeouts on a per-at-bat basis of any team in the National League. With Joey Manassas, along with Riley Adams, both hitting above a 275, but just not a lot of thumping power outside of Kendallario Along with Lane Thomas, you've had Bear Ruiz slug on 9 home runs, but they've really been bereft of... A lot of power with that regard, and I do think that Mackenzie Gore, just him being all over the place, him having a little bit of regression towards the back half of the first half of the season, five plus runs surrendered in two out of his last four starts. A little bit of an issue. So, one trust in the Cubs on the money line. Did set my total at a minus 158. With the conditions way that they are, I did set my total at an 8.6. So, in half or less, looking at the over nine or higher, going to be taking a look at the under 907, 908 on the betting board. It is the Tampa Bay Rays. They hit the road. They're facing off against the Walker Texas Rangers. As Sheen McClanahan goes for the Rays, and Dane Dunning is going to look to get her Dunning for Texas. Texas is back to being a slight underdog. Between plus 105 to plus 115, minus 120 to minus 125 is your number on the Rays. And the total on this game is 8. The over and the under are both at minus 110. And for the Rays, I did set them at a minus 141. Is there a trepidation with taking the Rays? Absolutely, because Shane McClanan has been dealing with injury. He made really one start over the last two and a half or so weeks prior to the All-Star break. He gave up four runs and in three innings in that start against the Seattle Mariners. So, you really don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him. And for McLean, and he has been... Dealing with a little bit of a walks issue as well. He has been giving up about 3.4 to 3.5 walks for nine innings as far as the season. But every single time he's taken the ball, really, since that Seattle started, which you could tell that he was not himself, he has been dominant all season long. You take that start out of the fold, he has given up two runs or fewer in all but two of his starts. So, he has been one of the most rock solid pitchers in the big leagues. Going up against Dane Dunning, that going into the season... He had an ERA in his first two years with the Texas Rangers about two and a half points lower when he was at home rather than when he was on the road. Now, the one issue that you do currently have with Dean Dunning, he just has really regressed with regards to swing and miss stuff. He wasn't like some sort of a strikeout artist over the last few seasons, but he was getting in the neighborhood of about eight or so strikeouts for nine innings. He was doing a competent job of being able to pick up some punch outs. This year, he's only getting about 5.8 strikeouts for 9 innings. It's done a bunch better job with command, 2.3 blocks for 9 innings. But that 284 ERA, it comes with a 383 fielding So. The regression monster is hungry, and he is coming for Dane Dunning, and now for Dunning, he has to face off against a Tampa Bay Rays team that has the 11 different guys that have been able to pound out at least 7 home runs as far this the season and for the Tampa Bay Rays. Jose Siri, he's leading the way with 18 home runs, but he's the only one of their guys that have a double-figure amount of homers, and that would be a grand total of 7 guys. As currently hitting below a 261 or as an on-base percentage, below a 341 sands. Josh Lowe as well. Josh Lowe has a 311 on base. But that said, uh, all these guys that get on base, they all have very functional power. You don't necessarily have that other guy other than Siri that might be on pace for North of Iowa would say about 30-32 home runs, but they all do a really good job of just being able to move the line, providing good power, and it's going to be rough with a Texas Rangers bullpen that is also in the bottom 10 in terms of ERA. Now, reinforcements are on the way. You're bringing a role Chapman. That should be able to help out this bullpen. There are other good pieces like Brock Burke, Will Smith, guys like this, Jose Leclerc that have been able to give you a a sub 3-5 ERA. So I do think that there's a little bit of an uptick there. But for the Tampa Bay Rays, they closed out the first half of the season pitching really well in the bullpen. In the month of May, they were really not getting anything out of that bullpen whatsoever. But if you take a look at the last 35 days, the Rays have been a top-five team. In terms of bullpen ERA, they've had a nice reclamation project with Jake Diekman and then... You've got so many guys like the likes of Compuchet, Jason Adam, Sean Armstrong. That'll be able to give you a sub three ERA as far this as season, eh? For the Texas Rangers, very fearsome lineup. On any given night, they could throw out there a lineup where you've got eight guys hitting at least a two seventy, with the lone outlier being Adolis Garcia. has been able to give you 24 home runs thus far this season. Josh Young has supplied 19 home runs. He's made to about a two seventy-five. Marcus Simeon, one of the best leadoff hitters that we have found in the big leagues, Corey Seager. four twenty on base, three fifty-five average with... 13 home runs in less than 250 at-bats. Ezekiel Duren is hitting you know, 300. He's got 12 home runs. He just go down the list. And the Rangers are checking every box. But if you do take a look at the advanced stats, both of these teams, they are perhaps doing for a little bit of regression with regards to bats. That said, I do think that both of these pitchers as well are doing for a little bit of regression. And I do have a few question marks with Shane McClain and- taking the mound in this spot, but I do have a little bit more faith in McLean and I do in Dane Dunning, so I did set the race as a minus 141 favorite, going to be able to take them on the money line and did somebody tell it at 8.9. Do I think that both of these offenses might regress a little bit? Yes, I still think that 8.5 is a little bit too low, so looking at the over and the money line of the Tampa Bay Rays, this is going to be the DK Network right-up pick. 909.10 on, on the bank board, the Detroit Tigers, they throw a face off against the Kansas City Royals. John Lyles goes for the Royals and Matt Manning is on the bump for Detroit, and Detroit is a favorite between minus 120 to a minus 130. Plus 110 to plus 115 is your number on the Royals. Nine and a half is the total. Under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105. The networker Ida pick is going to be on the total, and I am going to be taking a look at it under. I'm going to describe how future these offenses is. Like I said my total at an 8.7, and with the Tigers did set them at a minus 133 on the money line. Now, the biggest stat in this game is that Got someone in Jordan Lyles that he's made 17 starts this far this season and the Royals are 1-16 in those starts. It is not good to say the least. Jordan Lyles though has actually pitched a little bit better recently. That's not saying much because there was really nowhere to go but up and he's a tad bit better at home. 551 OME ERA, 736 ERA on the road this despite the fact that he is giving up north of two home runs per nine innings when he's at home for Lyles. Gives up about 2.8 walks per nine innings and if you look at the advanced numbers, he still stinks. He doesn't stink to the point where he pro- probably should be a one and sixteen in his seventeen starts. So his fielding independent more around a five fifty one. So it is nearly a four point lower than his actual ERA. Now Matt Manning has an ERA that is a full point lower than his fielding independent. Then again, this is a very small sample size. He's only made five starts, and in his three starts, is coming off the injured list. Two runs are fewer, in two of them. The lone exception is when he went up to uh, Coors Field, and he gave up four runs in five innings to the Colorado Rockies. Completely understandable for Matt Manning. Gives up about three walks per nine innings. Has never really been a strikeout artist, but I don't think that that's going to hurt him. Both of these teams in this game are in the bottom three in the big leagues in runs per game and an on-base percentage. You got the Detroit Tigers 23rd in the league in terms of home runs on a per at bat basis. The Royals are 29th now. For the Royals, you've got two guys that are able to pound up the deep ball. Bobby Wood Jr. along Salvador Perez. Between 15 and 16 home runs apiece, both hitting between about a 258 to a 260. So they've been able to do their part. Nobody else in the lineup active is currently having north of seven home runs thus far this season for the Kansas City Royals. And you've got so many guys that just have not been able to move the line. Nicky Lopez, Michael Massey, MJ Melendez, Terdian Blanco, along with some odd taylor. All hitting below a 220 right now. It is a Royals dead last in the big leagues in terms of on-base percentage. And for the Detroit Tigers, good news is you do have Riley Green back in full. That's very helpful. He's been hitting for nearly a 300. You have three guys, Jake Rogers, Gary Carpenter, Spencer Trokelson, oh between eleven and twelve home runs a season. And to the credit of Gary Carpenter has been hitting a two seventy-five along with Matt Veerling. These guys have been solved but likes of Avi Baez. Rogers I mentioned before, Eric Haas, Zach Short. You go down the list of guys that they are hitting a two twenty or lower, and none of these guys have north of a three hundred on base. That's an issue as well. And for the Detroit Tigers. They're about a league average bullpen in terms of ERA, but you have got some guys that are relatively reliable, and you saw that the last time Matt Manning took the mound. Last time Matt Manning took the mound, he was a part of that combined no-hitter against the Toronto Blue Jays. We've got the likes of Jason Foley, Tyler Holton, Jose Cicero, giving you a sub. 3.50 ERA, Bobrisky has resurfaced as a little bit of a long reliever. I think that he might be able to give you a little bit of something. Now, for the Kansas City Royals, bottom three team, in terms of bullpen ERA, it up and go. good. Carlos Hernandez, Jonathan Heasley, not guys that you necessarily want to be trusting in. But if there is good news, the bullpen is relatively rested because Brady Singer, he was able to make it eight innings yesterday, so that helps him out as well. I do think that Matt Manning is going to continue to be rock solid and. I frankly just think that both of these offenses are going to continue to sink. So my DK Network right writer pick that is going to be on the under side. I tell it at an 8.7, so even if this dips down to a nine, still do like an under. And with regards to the Tigers, like them up to a minus 132 on the money line. If you are taking a look at that run line, you're going to get anywhere between a plus 120 to a plus 125. Recognize that with the Royals, all but two of their losses in Lyle starts have been my multiple runs. I don't trust in the Tigers to be able to get a multi-run win, though, so I'm going to play it safe on the money line to go along with that network. right a pick of the under. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. We've got the New York Yankees on the road facing off against the LA Angels. Griffin to goes for the Angels. Luis Severino is on the bump for the Yankees. Yankees are a plus 115 underdog. Minus 135 is your price on the Angels. And total on this game is eight. The over is minus 115 and the under is minus 105. Last year, we noticed a massive trend. In the last few years in general, we noticed a massive trend of teams that played on Sunday Night Baseball being absolutely terrible on Monday. That really hasn't been the case this year. And you've got sort of dueling things going on because you've got Sunday Night Baseball for the Angels, meanwhile for the Yankees. They have to come down from elevation as they had to play at Coors Field over the weekend and they had to play a multi-ending game at Coors Field. So that's an issue and I just flat out can't trust Luis Severino in this spot. As a result, I set the Angels as a minus 145 favorite for Luis Severino. He has been getting banged around as he has given up at least four runs and now all but one of his last seven starts. It has been absolute brutality. I mean, the real miracle is the Yankees have actually won two of those starts. But for Luis Severino, he's made five road starts this far this season, a nine twenty-seven ERA. He is giving up north of two and a half home runs per nine innings, four and a half walks per nine innings. His swing and miss stuff is down. Everything is bad. Should we see a little bit of positivity on the balls in play for him? most likely, but when your whip is what would be a pretty impressive bench press for a set of 10, I recognize that talking to to some strong dudes out here, but for the normal human being, if you're able to do a set of 10 at 180 pounds, because his whip is a buck 80, yeah, that's not great. Meanwhile, you've got Griffin Canning, who he hasn't been bad. He hasn't been great. He's got a 462 ERA. I feel like he's pitched a little bit better than that. He has been unlucky on balls in play as well. What has really been hurting him has been the deep ball. He has been giving up right around 1.7 1.7 to 1.8 them runs per nine innings. And we do know that with the New York Yankees, they are a team that is a little bit all or nothing with regards to their offense. But for Canning, he's been able to do a good job of being able to limit the walks, giving up more than that neighborhood, about 2.7 walks per nine innings. So I do think that there's going to be a little bit of positivity coming his way as been getting right around 8.5 strikeouts per nine innings. And gets to go up against a Yankees team that ever since Aaron Judge has been out of the fold, the Yankees have been a bottom five offense in terms of runs per game, and now they have to come down from elevation, which typically affects teams. You do have for the New York Yankees a pair of guys with 13 home runs, Glaber Torres and Anthony Volpe, but with Volpe, he is on a long list of guys that just have not been able to move the line at all. He, as Waldo Cabrera, Jose Trevino, Josh Donaldson, John Carlos Stanton, all hitting at 2.14 or lower, and this is following a trip to Coors Field. Glaber Torres is about at 3.30 on base, but for Anthony Rizzo, this guy has just not done anything whatsoever for the New York Yankees in the last, I mean, we're going to call it about a month and a half. I think his last home run came in May. I mean, it has been a really long time for Anthony Rizzo, so that's a big issue for the New York Yankees. Now, what is not an issue for the Yankees is going into the All-Star break, this team was a top-two team in terms of bullpen ERA. I'm not going to really give an update of bullpen ERA because they played a series in Coors Field. It would be a little bit unfair to do that because everything gets elevated at Coors Field. You've got the likes of Nick Ramirez along with Tommy Canely, Ian Hamilton, Wandi Peralta, Clay Holmes, all guys that entered into the series with a sub-3-3 ERA for the LA Angels. Overall this season, they're a little bit below average in terms of their bullpen area, but they do have guys that I think are relatively solid. Likes of Jacob Webb, Jose Soriano, throwing there the closer in Carlos Estevez, Matt Moore. They've been able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. You're seeing the likes of Chris Zavinsky and company starting to come downward. That's honestly too terrific. And for the Angels, big thing with this team is all the injuries that they are fighting through. They've been dealing with an injury to Brandon Drury. Having Mike Trotta on the full, that's not too terrific, Anthony Rendon. He's out as well, but I mean, what else is new with Anthony Rendon being out of the fold? But Mickey Moniak has been able to give you a home run every about 14 at-bats. He's been hitting for about a 325 show. Ayutani right now leads big leagues in home runs. Hunter Renfro, he's been able to slug out 15 home runs. You're having to trot out there. some men of mystery, you've always got Luis Rendifo who's not been able to hit very well. Trey Cabbage getting starts. It's honestly too terrific, but even something like Zach Neto, I think, has a little bit of upside as well. I just can't trust in Luis Severino in this spot. Recognize that the Angels are banged up and the Yankees are without Aaron Judge, but I do think that this is a good spot for runs. I did something I told it at 8.7. I'm looking at the over. And with the Angels, want to lay up to a minus 145 on that money line. 913, 914 on the betting board. The Boston Red Sox hit the road off against the Oakland A's. As Paul Blackburn walks a plank for the A's to be determined is on the bump for the Red Sox. This is a game that's off the board. I think you should either see Nick Pavetta or Chris Murphy as either a starter or an opener. If it is Murphy, I like him a little bit more than Nick Pavetta, and I did put Chris Murphy on the board for myself. I set the Red Sox in this ordeal at a minus 168 on the money line. We'll be willing to lay a very small minus 102 price on the run line, and some I told to wear an eight or less, I would be looking at an over an eight and a half prior to the under. Paul Blackburn has actually been able to crank up his swing and miss stuff, but That's not what we've seen out of Paul Blackburn really throughout the entirety of his career. And I think we're going to start to see a little bit of regression here. He has been getting right around 10 strikeouts for nine innings. But now five strikeouts or fewer in each out of his last three appearances. Now, one of those, he got one strikeout and one inning against the Boston Red Sox because he was dealing with a little bit of like an illness, a virus, something of that nature. But... For Blackburn, he has been certainly giving up the walks as well. He's giving up about 3.1, 3.2 walks per nine innings, has a north of four ERA at home, north of a 5.8 ERA on the road, and is backed up by the worst bullpen in the big leagues. you had so many guys in this bullpen that they just have not been able to give you good, consistent innings all season long. For the Asia Taro Fujinami, he continues to have north of a 7 ERA. The likes of Trevor May, Sam Maul, Lucas Ersage, they've all been posting up north of a 4-9 ERA as well. Team pitches a little bit better at home rather than on their own, but that's just a product of playing at Ring Coliseum, I think they're calling it now. And then for the Boston Red Sox, they certainly have had some very demonstrative home and road splits, but you know what? In all three of their road games against the Chicago Cubs, they were able to put up four-plus runs. They are still hitting about 50 points lower on the road rather than at home. They've actually got bigger home and road splits than the Colorado Rockies at this point, but Rafael Devers has been able to give you 23 home runs. And now you've got other guys stepping up with regards to power as well. Masataka Yoshida, Justin Turner, Tristan Casas, all between 11 and 14 home runs for Casas. Still not doing a great job in terms of the average, but it feels like the light has really come on from hitting a 300 with four home runs over the last three days across 69 at bats. So that's very nice. You've got Alex Verdugo Does hit about 75 points lower on the road than he does at home, but still moves the line. He just a turnover all for the season north of a 355 on base along Jaron Duren, who's been hitting above a 300 as well. And for the Oakland A's, you just don't have any guys that are able to get on base at home. This is an Oakland A's bunch that. At home, they are hitting as a collective a 2-13. And you're dealing with an injury to Estadio Ruiz. He is the top base stealer in all of the big leagues. And he is the only guy in the lineup that has seen north of... 25 at-bats at home that is hitting above a 239. That's a big, giant issue. Brent Rooker has been able to give you five home runs at home. Ryan Nota six at. These are the only guys that have been able to give you north of four home runs in Oakland thus far this season. So, you've got a total lack of power there. The team has an on-base percentage at home that is sub-300. There's just really no taking that and even though it is a little bit of a poo-poo platter with the Red Sox bullpen. The Red Sox bullpen has honestly not been terrible recently. This Red Sox bullpen over the last three days, they're hovering right around 10th in terms of bullpen era. Is it a bunch as lighting the world on fire? by no stretch of the imagination, is it? But you know what? You've got some guys, like a Brandon Bernardino. You've been able to get good innings out of Josh Winkowski, Chris Martin, that have been able to supply a sub-33RA. And if you do get Chris Murphy, he's actually been really good as a bulk guy. Nick Pavetta feels like he's turned around into a little bit of better form as well if you do get him, but I'm not as bullish on Pavetta as I would be on Chris Martin, but that's that. Said, if you do get Chris Martin as a little bit of a bulk guy, thinking that you're going to get a poo-poo platter of guys for the Boston Red Sox, I did say the Red Sox minus 168 on the money line will be willing to lay a small price on the run line. Interlust looking at the over 8.5 or higher to the under. 915, 916 on the betting board. The Seattle Mariners playoffs to the Minnesota Twins. Huddy Gray is going to be on the bump for the Twins. And you've got Logan Gilbert, who's going to be on the bump for Seattle and Seattle is a favorite of any between minus 120 to a minus 130. Anywhere between plus 110 and plus 115 is your number on Minnesota. 7 is the total. Over is between minus 120 to a minus 125. The under is anywhere between even money and plus 105. And with the Twins, made them a plus 134 underdog. I'm going to be one to back Logan Gilbert. Feels like Logan Gilbert has been getting a little bit unlucky thus far this season. And I do think that things are going to start to turn around for him a little bit as Got a guy in sunny gray that has been able to do a solid job getting right around nine and a half strikeouts per nine and he said it's allowed three runs or fewer in all but one of his starts as far the season. But for Sonny Gray, it just felt like he was seeing some regression towards back half of the first half of the season. His command was really lacking as well. So, I do have some worry spots with Sonny Gray. He's been a bit lucky on balls in play. Three home runs surrendered in 99 in the third innings. He's actually been a little bit better on the road than he has been at home. 274 road ERA compared to a three ERA at home. But you take a look at his last four starts and uh, he's posted up a 456 ERA. So, we are starting to see a little bit of a slowdown with Sonny Gray. Meanwhile, for Logan Gilbert, he has been a little bit all over the place as far this season as well, but has now given up two runs of fewer, and four out of his last five starts, it feels like the positivity that I've been banking on this season with him, it is starting to come through as he's got a 3.47 fielding independent compared to a 3.66 ERA, nearly nine strikeouts and 1.6 walks per nine innings, so he has done a nice job of really not beating himself. For Logan Gilbert, at home this far this season As for his career going into this year, he's had relatively equal home to road splits, and he's got a 4.29 home area compared to more like a 320. 60 area on the road. I think that we should be seeing a little bit of reversal there, and with the Seattle Mariners, certainly not a team that is necessarily pounding the tar out of the ball. They have scored four runs or fewer now each out of their last five games, but you do have a pair of guys in task, Hernandez, Julio Rodriguez, combined 28 home runs, in between about a 242-250. That's what you like to see. Ty France has been able to give you about a 325 on base. Power numbers, not necessarily there as you do have from there, and Eugenius Juarez, Cal Raleigh, Jared Kelnick, they've been able to give you between 11 and 12 home runs. But Kelnick, it has been a rough for him recently. Last 40 days, he's been hitting for about a 200. You've got Suarez and Cal Raleigh both hitting at about a 220. You have a 320 on base with you Suarez, but you just expect a little bit more out of them. And then you've got the likes of a Taylor Trammell, AJ Pollock, Colton Wong, all hitting below 70. It has not been working out for either of these three guys. They have now been just in and out of the fold. And it's been a little bit of a disaster with that regard for a Seattle Mariners team that they do rank in the bottom seven of the big leagues in terms of overall batting average, but the Minnesota Twins, they just have not been able to hit on the road. Going to Oakland helped out a little bit, but this is still a bottom three team in the big leagues in terms of road batting average hitting at two twenty four overall on the road this far this season. I will say, Joey Gallo does have 11 road home runs this far this season, and for the Twins, the issue is not necessarily the thumping power. You've Got five separate guys that would able to give you at least 11 home runs. Gallo, Michael A. Taylor, Carlos Correa, Byron Buxton, Max Kepler. Problem is, the only of these guys sitting above a 218 and the only guy with above a 300 on base is Carlos Correa. You do have Gallo with a 310 on base as well, but the fuck 87 batting average, I think really neutralizes that quite a bit. You've been having Donovan Solano get on base. He and Alex Kurloff right around about a 372, a 375 on base, along with Ryan Jeffers as well. But Royce Lewis dealing with an injury has been a little bit of an issue as well. And for the Minnesota Twins, this is a top 10 team in terms of bullpen area. You're on Duran along with Jordan Balazovic. They've been terrific. But having Brock Stewart on the fold has been earning this bullpen. Orey Lopez has been a little bit all over the place this year. He's got north of a 4 5 ERA. it has been picking it up a little bit since coming off the injured list. But that's an issue. I actually like Griffin Jackson. For The Seattle Mariners, they've done a good job mixing and matching with their top 10 bullpen in terms of ERA as well as Andres Munoz along with the likes of Taylor Sacito, Ty Adcock, Paul Seawall, Justin Topa all giving you a sub 3-2 ERA that has been beneficial. I do think that Logan Gilbert picks up right where he left off prior to the All-Star break. Lends a good start. I set the Mariners minus 134 on the money line. I think we went a little bit too low with this total. The Twins, they are starting to show some cracks in the armor of that bullpen. And for the Seattle Mariners, I do think that they're going to be able to generate some walks off of Sonny Gray. So, somebody told us 7.2 here at a 7. Looking at the over and 1 lay north of a minus 130 on the Seattle Mariners. Money line, 917, 918 on the bank where the LA Dodgers set the road to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Grayson Rodriguez goes for the Orioles, and Sheehan is on the bump for the Dodgers. Currently, the only number I'm seeing is at DraftKings. 9.5 is the total. Under is minus 120, and the over is even. Grayson Rodriguez and the Orioles are minus 115 favorites, minus 105 your number on the LA Dodgers. I set the Orioles at a minus 102. This is darn near a pick for me, so I want to see. Some different numbers come onto the board. I was seeing the Dodgers more around even money a little bit earlier, and if you get the timeline out here in Vegas, that would probably blend a little bit of plus value. As of right now, the way that I'm seeing these openers come out, I think when it's all said and done, I might be able to get a little bit of value here on the Dodgers, but it's wait in see, mode just because the only place that has a number up is DraftKings, but... From Emmett Gian, Young kid has made four starts and it's been relatively solid. Did give a up in his last start against the Pittsburgh Pirates on the 4th of July but prior to that three runs of fear given up in every one of his starts including a start on the road at Coors Field which that is not easy to do for Gian. Not necessarily a strikeout master or anything like that but it's been able to mitigate the walks. Three home runs allowed in 20 and 2 thirds innings. Pitch well at the minor league level, so I like what I'm seeing there. And for Grayson Rodriguez, when he got called up to the big league level, he was able to get a nice little lather, but it was a case where he was getting the strikeouts. He was getting 11 strikeouts per 9 innings, but once again, it's the command. He was giving up four walks per nine innings and also gave up two and a half home runs per nine innings as well. has been a very solid minor league pitcher, once again, getting a lot of strikeouts, but even at the minor league level, he does have his issues with the walks. In his five home starts as far as the season, Grayson Rodriguez, a 9.55 ERA with seven home runs, given up at 21 and two-thirds innings. I have a feeling that that might not necessarily be a great combination going up against an L.A. Dodgers team that... They are a team that doesn't necessarily hit for the world's greatest average, but they're in the top two in the big leagues in terms of walks on a per at-bat basis. And you've got so many guys just slumping the ball. Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, Max Muncy, all north of 20 home runs with Betts leading the way with 27 bombs going into yesterday. 385 on base with him. Max Muncy is hitting just a buck 96, but a 333 on base. And then J.D. Martinez saying more like a 260. Freddie Freeman, 17 bombs, right around a 400 on base. Will Smith, just below 400 on base, 13 home runs, you just go down the list and you've got a fearsome Dodgers lineup, but then You've got a Baltimore Orioles team that they've been a top-8 team in terms of runs per game as well with Anthony Santander really starting to pick it up. 17 home runs thus far this season, Dealt with a little bit of a back issue towards the beginning part of the season. Last 30 days, 7 home runs and 90 at-bats, hitting above a 300. That's what you'd like to see from Santander. He is becoming really that main fulcrum piece in this lineup as he and Ali Rushman are both hitting a 275. Rushman, 12 bombs, 375 on base. Awesome to say his kid is hitting above a 300 along with Ryan O'Hearn as well, so Even though the Orioles, they might not have those sexy names. They've got a lot of guys that have been very productive for them. Aaron Hicks has been will give you about a 365 on base as reborn his career. Gunner Anderson after a rough start to the season has been able to pick it up. He's at about a 345 on base with 14 home runs as well. So, both of these lineups really don't have a lot of dead bats in there. And for the Orioles, they are going to have the upper hand with regards to the bullpen. As You've got Felix Batista along with Yoneer Cano, who have been so tremendous. Both of these guys, a sub-2 ERA now. Past that, pretty much everyone else does have north of a 375 ERA other than Danny Colombe. You've had Mike Bauman, Brian Baker, and Nick Vespy, guys, just be sort of neither here nor there, but... For the LA Dodgers, this is a bullpen that does rank in the bottom 10 of the big leagues in terms of ERA. Now, the good news for the Dodgers is over the last 35 days, they have been a top 10 team in terms of bullpen ERA. You've been noticing these guys picking it up a little bit, but the likes of Alex Vesia, Yancy Almonte, Phil Bickford giving you a 5 plus ERA, not great. Caleb Ferguson, Broussard, a grader, a couple with Evan Phillips as well. These have been the guys that have been able to do a relatively solid job, but I do think that that bullpen advantage going to the Baltimore Orioles is big. Battle of Young Guns, I probably would give a little bit of an edge to Sheehan just because Grayson Rodriguez at the big league level has been a little bit teeter totterish but I do take a look at the subtle set mine at a 9.3. I think that this has been... A total with some movement, but at a 9.5 like I'm seeing right now, I'd be taking a look at the under if we get back to a 9. Personally, would rather have a 9 over rather than a 9.5 under, but we'll be looking there. And with the Orioles, set them at a minus 102, so a plus price on the Dodgers will put me there. If I'm able to get pretty much like even money or better on Baltimore, we'll be looking there. So, pretty much I'm taking the underdog in this matchup, and I'm going to be taking a look at a 9 or less the over and a 9.5 prior to the under, and we wrap things up with 919, 920 on the bank board. The Cleveland Guardians at third off against Pittsburgh Pirates says it is Quinn Pressler who's gonna be making his MLB debut for the Pirates. Hunter Gaddis is expected to make the start for the Guardians, but right now for the Guardians, it is listed as to be determined. This is a game that's off the board. It was supposed to be Shane Bieber for the Cleveland Guardians. He landed on the injured list, which is why you got a little bit of a TBD. I'm thinking it's gonna be Hunter Gaddis, but not necessarily sure there. And for Pricer hopefully I'm saying that correctly. I apologize to the young gentleman if I am not, but first round pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates from a few seasons ago, the 2019 draft, and he's been relatively solid at the minor league level. Has been a little bit up and down. Not a guy that has been blowing you away with regards to the swing and miss stuff, but has been improving as the season has went along. And if he does go up against Hunter Gaddis, I've got a little bit more faith in he than Hunter Gaddis. but I'm also seeing some reports that Zabion Curry might be making the start as well, and Curry would put me over the top, but with Curry versus Pricester, I'd be setting the Guardians, Thread round around about a minus 110 favorite, and a total to wear an 8.5 or less, I'd be looking at the over 9 or higher, to the under Curry, has made a few start-slash-long appearances throughout his career, he's someone that I think could probably be able to give you three, maybe four innings for the Cleveland Guardians before you toss it over to a bullpen that has been in the top two, in terms of ERA, all season long. Someone like an Eli Morgan, who's a former starter that's able to give you multiple innings, and De Los Santos is able to fill a little bit of time as well. Cody Morris is someone that made starts last season. These are all guys that are giving you a sub-3-3 ERA. Trevor Steven has been rock solid as well. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, bullpen towards the beginning part of the season was very solid, but they are coming off of an 11-inning game as well that they played on Peacock and you've been seeing ever since the injury to Jose Hernandez, who is posting up a 263 ERA. Team has been going down the toilet bowl. You do have Carmen Moldozinski, along with Yuri De Los Santos, David Benar, Tori Moretta, they've all been able to give you a sub at 350 ERA. Johan Ramirez as well coming back in the fold. That's big, but. Ryan Baruki has not necessarily been too tremendous for this bullpen as well, and it's been sort of mixing and matching from there, and it's not been going too well. But the bigger issue that you've got with Pittsburgh Pirates, just a complete and utter lack of offense with the same Jack Swiniski as we would give you 19 home runs, and with Andrew McCutcheon being in and out of the fold, that's not something that you like to see as for McCutcheon, he's the only guy other than Swiniski with a double-figure amount of homers, and for McCutcheon, at 380 on base, his absence is very big, for the CMS. Wodiski has been able to give you 350 on base, but Brian Reynolds has really been seeing things go down the toilet bowl. He had like five home runs very early on in the season. He's had like four home runs over the last three months. Over the last three days, he's been dealing with a few ailments, but he's been hitting a buck 70 when he has been out there. He hasn't been himself. They've been dealing with an injury as well to someone like a Rodolfo Castro. You've had guys just in and out of the fold in general, like Brian Hayes as well, and they just have not been able to find anything with regards to their offense. Now for the Guardians, they are dead last in the big leagues in terms of total home runs, but you do have a pair of guys, Jose Ramirez, Josh Naylor, with a combined 26 home runs. Both of these guys a north of a 280, and what was so successful for the Guardians and led them to the playoffs last year was having the likes of Andre Jimenez, Steven Kwan, Will Brandon, Ahmed Rosario, only north of 270. Well, Rosario, Kwan, and Brandon are back to between about a 262, 270, and it's helping out. You still could use them to move the line a little bit more to make up for that lack of power, but all in all, got a little bit more faith here in the Guardians, even though Pricer, I think, is going to be very good for the Pirates moving forward. They just don't put a lot around them. And Curry versus Pricer did set the Guardians as a spot where I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 110 with them and eight and a half or less looking at the over nine or higher to the under and that we're things up for the Monday edition of the baseball betting show now part of the visa family podcast a big thanks to Justin Perry over at Callie Betts. he joined me in the last segment if you do like hearing from this fine podcast baseball betting show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JN underscore D1. Keep in mind letters M. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five star review, and I'm coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.